SlimeWire. Choose your own adventure.
SlimeWire. Choose your own adventure. Mahalo. Welcome to the uh, SlimeWire podcast. I am your host, Triton T2, joined with my co-host, Ikemen Sensei. We got a special guest in the studio today. We've got uh, Was X. What's up, man? What's up? How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ikemen? I'm doing great. It is a lovely 10 a.m. morning here in Kakugawa. Oh, you're actually in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live okay, here. so you're the real, real vaporwave deal. Then. Listen, you're not just I live it and breathe it, baby. Okay. Yeah, he's an expat. He's got lots of concubines down there, and okay, yeah, yeah, any, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. any unheard of uh, sons or daughters? Uh, remote if, villages. You know, if there are, I'm not trying to find out. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> he was living in like a pretty remote village for like a while. But okay. now, now you're at Osaka, right? Yeah, yeah. Thereabouts. <laughs> Word. Well, yeah, we wanted to bring you on Wasex because uh, recently I've been getting sort of Atlantis pilled. And then, okay, like, cool. yeah, by chance you wrote uh, this cool book called The Historiography of Atlantis and made yeah. that album to like go with it. And so, like, yeah, if like just first you want to give us like a rundown of like the project, like what got you into it, like what got you into Atlantis in the first place and what you're trying to do with like the whole thing. Um, yeah. So for this project, I mean, it was kind of coming down to like the two other albums that I did before last year, the Los Angeles and the New York albums, uh-huh. which I was kind of, uh, I would say those were like, I wouldn't say they were experimental, but they were like, uh musically like stuff i was delving into like genres that i hadn't made before and just trying to reconfigure a lot of stuff uh so on a musical aspect those two albums were basically like you know expanding into different realms of music especially with jazz and uh you know like swing music and i took like a lot of time to study big band jazz from that time and figure out like the actual musical components and the different, you know, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, just the theory of jazz and then getting into bebop and uh, the later aspects of jazz, just kind of brushing up on that history. And then once I got to Atlantis, I kind of figured out uh, like the sound I wanted to create or I was condensing it more so rather than just, expanding into different kind of genres and more just trying to centralize it more into something much more cohesive to what I wanted to make and not, uh, cause that's the thing I don't say, I wouldn't say it's experimental, but it's more so just, uh, trying new things, I guess. Uh, whereas Atlantis, I feel like I've, uh, it was just sort of pulling all of that, all of those things together into a, cohesive sound i guess that i enjoyed um and then for the concept of just atlantis on its own uh i kind of went into a rabbit hole uh just through wikipedia and going through all like that weird you know like topography of the ocean and seeing it and then just like going through the mythology and seeing how so many things uh specifically like around like 4000 to 3000 bc when a lot of weird things were happening and huge shifts and changes were happening like everywhere in the world, whether in South America or in North Africa or in the Mediterranean and just like all these 
it, it was like a, a spark was lit in these specific uh-huh. regions. So then I just wanted to get into it more. Um, and then I kind of just put together the, the historiography through, uh, you know, just for lack of a better way. Um, I sort of had a vision of the story uh, after writing one of my songs. And so I just kind of put that down to paper and then just sort of built the story off of that on its own, because realistically it's like, uh, I mean, there's no real historical or archeological evidence of Atlantis, obviously. So Uh you're really, the only thing you're going into is just mythology and trying to find connections to each other. Um, you know, so for, from an archeological perspective, it's definitely like pseudo historical. Yeah. Uh, I don't really expect anyone to like, factualize it but to what i put down i consider it to be uh truthful in some regard for sure yeah ek man are you you are like a total skeptic right uh as to whether i actually think atlantis like existed uh i mean yeah i I guess i'm not like uh i would say that i'm an agnostic as regards the actual existence of the subcontinent. But I have seen, like, I mean, I've seen, like, the Joe Rogan podcasts where he has those guys on, and he talks about, uh, like, the possible places it could be. And, you know, they put up a pretty good case. But, yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm a skeptic. That implies that I am, like, hostile to the idea of Atlantis. I'm just not... uh, I'm yeah. I would say I'm agnostic to it, but I do think it's a it's a cool and interesting like possibility when you think of the evidence that is available to us. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a fair assessment. I mean, I kind of never really thought about it until like I don't know December of last year, and uh, it's just kind of something I never really cared about. Like I obviously hear about Atlantis in one way or another. And then there was just kind of one night where I just stumbled into a rabbit hole and I was like, Oh shit, this actually could be like a real thing. This isn't just some, you know, no, I, well, I've definitely had that experience before about like, yeah, just like stumbling into an, like a huge internet rabbit hole where it turns out like, uh, people have spent 10 years, trying to prove this wild theory of some something that happened a long time ago. Like, uh, like, have you heard about those, like, uh, like cities that they're finding in the Amazon rainforest now that are like 10,000 years old and like all that okay. stuff. Have you heard about that? Uh, I've heard about the pyramids in Brazil. I haven't heard about those cities though. I yeah, recently like, heard a theory that like the Amazon rainforest was like actually man-made. Like they planted all that shit there. And that it was, yeah. like, supposed to be, yeah, it's, like, for uh, agriculture. Like, before it was, like, a much more normal, like, sort of jungle. And then it sort of drew over. But that originally it was, like, a desert, like the Sahara or something. Yeah, yeah. So, it, like, there is now a bunch of evidence that, like, the, uh, yeah, the Amazon rainforest was at some point, uh, like, a man-made, I mean, it was it was, like, farmland. Yeah, so, like the soil of it and shit. Like the soil is not like regular soil. It's like this special kind of soil. Yeah, right. It's like topsoil. 
Yeah, so I yeah, think yeah. like the talk, like more what I'm interested in when it comes to Atlantis particularly is like I think now there is the idea that human human civilization is probably a lot older than people thought. Uh, right. Yeah, and so like even like there's stuff like, and when you talk about like the uh, different um, like how the Earth's climate was different in the past. Uh, right. there are people that are talking about like, you know, like serious, like archeologists that talk about how, like Russia used to be way warmer than it was, than it is now. Yeah. It used to be like a bunch of fucking people lived there for a long time and they had like sophisticated tools. They had like a mythology, like they had all this shit and there's still people there today that are carrying on that like legacy so yeah, I think that within the wider context of that, uh, Atlantis is an interesting thing to me. I think I think like we as like Westerners are really interested in it because it w- it seems to be the thing that like precedes like Greek and like Egyptian civilization. Like right, yeah. Well, like, it, where, it would precede like pretty much all of civilization. That's mm-hmm. ultimately the thing because I also touch on like the because China also. They, I mean, they were a little bit later. They were like, uh, like 2700 BC, yeah. uh, but still within that kind of time frame. And that was when like, you know, Huang Di, who's like called the yellow emperor, literally, yeah. who like came down from like wherever and granted Chinese people like all this ancient knowledge of technology and medicine and all kinds of things. Um, and then there's, um, yeah, it's just... Uh, like everything else, like we were talking about, like in the Amazon, how it was like farmland. And that's, uh, I mean, I don't know much about the farmland one, but I know about the, the pyramids on the coast of Brazil. And they said there was like probably like a thousand pyramids or something like roughly around. Yes. Like 3,500 BC or something like that. So that's another weird thing that just happens to be there. Like, Oh, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That come from. Well, there's also, like, loads of, like, the majority of the uncontacted peoples left in the world are, like, hidden in the Amazon rainforest, and, like, people have only ever seen them, like, on planes just, like, flying by, and nobody knows how to get to where they are and stuff, so... Yeah, because it's, like... Yeah, dense, dense fucking jungle and shit, Yeah, it's impossible to get into. I mean, I had a friend who's, uh... He's Brazilian, and he was telling me about how just, like even going near the jungle is so risky just because of the weird viruses that just exist there that just kill people randomly. And like, he said he knew someone uh, like a family friend who just was driving by the jungle or something for work or whatever. And she just contracted some virus from there. They didn't know what it was. And she just, you know, she died from it. So it's like, yeah, it's uh, the Amazon jungle is pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. pretty intense. Yeah. Um, on the topic of like internet rabbit holes and like going into like weird sort of esoteric knowledge, is that a thing that you like sort of do with like a lot of your albums or like not necessarily like esoteric knowledge, but I feel like all of your albums sort of have a specific theme. Is it sort of yeah. like just whatever you're like into at the moment or like? Uh, yeah, usually. I mean, in terms of like the, the, the esoteric qualities, um, I mean, that's just something I'm generally into uh, on its own. Uh-huh. So it always just kind of pops up into the music, I guess, already. 
when it comes to themes, I feel like, yeah, I guess it's what I'm into at the moment, but now I'm kind of like going through and uh, just kind of like, taking reimaginings of like historical moments is kind of like my thing right now, like going back to like ancient civilizations and trying to like, I don't know. Cause you think about what uh, like historians recreate music from specific time periods, but it's like, you know, it's not really going to be like that and not necessarily that I'm trying to emulate what exactly the sound was, but I'm kind of just trying to like recreate some kind of feeling or, uh-huh. Yeah. Like a memory kind of thing from that period. Because I believe in um, like genetic memory and, Mm -hmm. you know, soul memory, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's already like scientifically proven in regards to how, you know, what your parents or grandparents and how they experienced life, whatever it was traumatic or whatever experiences they went through, you sort of retain those in your DNA. So there's definitely like aspects of that, uh, that I feel like could be tapped into, which I guess was what like Scientology tried, but they were, uh, Oh yeah. You know, kind of a scam, but like also not really, cause there was at least some truth to what they were talking about, but I don't know about the, uh, I mean, I don't really know much about Scientology, so I can't really say all I know is that they're very, uh, uh, I went through a weird, yeah, I went through like a weird Scientology rabbit hole, like maybe like a year ago. And uh, if you go to the Scientology subreddit, it's like, it's a, it's one of the weirdest fucking things like on the internet. Like you'll have people okay. that are like, that are like devout Scientologists, and then you'll also have people that like left the church and like hate it. But there's okay, a lot yeah. of people that um that like were labeled suppressive persons and that they got kicked out of the church but they want to get huh. back in and they won't let them back in. But they actually felt that Scientology like helped them a lot and that they can't like exist in the normal world without it. And that's like the saddest thing. Like, um, I yeah. think came in sensei. I sent you like a screenshot. This dude wrote like 10 paragraphs about like how he got kicked out because he had like impure thoughts about L Ron Hubbard. And like, yeah, it was okay. just like, yeah, it's just totally bizarre. But, That's um, it. Yeah, because I wouldn't expect them to just kick people out like that. Oh, yeah, they're, like, super selective. Like, if you really? try to go in, um, if you've ever, like, been on any sort of, a, like, prescription pill, like, any antidepressant, you're, like, ineligible. And if you ever huh. say anything, like, bad about the church, they will, yeah, just kick you out. And, like, they'll even, if, like, yeah. keep, your, like, keep you away from your family if your family's still in the church and stuff. And they'll okay. make it illegal for them to talk to you. It's uh-huh. uh yeah, it's really crazy. Do, do you know about the hole? The hole, no. The hole. The holes. Yeah. So they have this um place in Clearwater, Florida. That's like their big, like, that's like their main like Scientology place, and they own like a whole bunch of the land there. It's basically like a Scientology super center. Uh, they I have saw this, the like, documentary about that. They released. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big thing. Like. 2016 2017 there was a really big documentary about that yeah i know i yeah because um because the the leader's uh father escaped the church and like wrote a book and like a bunch of stuff yes yes but they had this series of office buildings and it was in the middle of like there was this big power like like redistribution within the church and the main leader david miscavige he fired a bunch of his like top advisors and stuff 
And like he kept them in the church. And what he did was he made them move into this series of office buildings that they called the hole. And they basically would just like, they would make them like walk on their like hands and knees, like around like desks for like eight hours a day. And like would like barely feed them and like just like yeah, all sorts of like insane psychological and physical torture. And there was like no air conditioning and it's like Florida. So it was like right, yeah. yeah, super, super fucked up. But um yeah, if you go down like a deep Scientology rabbit hole, like it gets it just gets really fucking weird. Yeah, it's definitely very uh very strange. I mean I went to the one in uh in Los Angeles, uh, the one in uh, Inglewood. And it's, uh, it is very weird there. Like just the vibe is very off. Uh, like the people have like this glaze over their eyes. I feel like, like the people working there, especially they're like, Oh, hi, how are you? Please sign up. Watch your, I don't know if you've ever been to a Scientology church. I've never been inside, but there's one, uh, downtown in Portland where I live. I've like walked okay. by a bunch of times. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, an experience. I mean, I understand if people don't want to go because it's like they're obviously going to try to like get you to sign up for shit. But yeah. like you basically are in a room. Uh, there's like maybe two people working there and they have like a bunch of free DVDs and shit to get out, which is basically all just propaganda because I watched all of them and they're all kind of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So but there's just all these TVs lined up everywhere with like a couch in front of each TV and you just kind of walk around and like sit in front of these TVs and like watch these indoctrinating videos about uh, like the power of Scientology. And it's basically like, you know, an amalgamation of a bunch of religions. Uh, the cool thing about it, though, is that it's like all the architecture and design is that like Art Deco, Bioshock kind of look. The, yeah, that's I feel like I'm scared to go inside of a Scientology building because, yeah, they have nailed like the 1970s Italian futurism style. Yeah. Art, you know, <laughs> and if I was going to join a church, that would be like right up my alley. That would be exactly the kind of church that I'm trying to join, you know? Yeah, I mean, they basically know their market, so yeah, they know they know it looks good. Also, I don't think you're like, eligible, EK man, because you have been on prescription pills before. Oh shit! Yeah, so you can go, yeah. and if you just tell them that, they'll just kick you. They'll just tell you where the door is, you know. Oh fuck yeah! Or you so just, can just go in. I can get yeah. like free like donuts that they got in the lobby, and if they try to fuck with me, I'll just say, "Sorry, I, I'm on prescription medication." Yeah, and then they'll leave me alone. Actually, I, when I went, it was like deep within like COVID era. So like they had to, I had to wear a mask and gloves walking Whoa. around to touch everything. That is they wild. Were, they actually got in trouble or they didn't get in trouble, but a lot of people like were shit talking because at the beginning of COVID, of course, they thought that like Scientologists were the only people that were going to survive COVID and that okay. if you're a Scientologist, you can't get COVID. So they didn't employ any like social distancing procedures at any of their facilities. Huh. And then a bunch of people like got mad at them. And then I think they had a lawsuit and then to like save public image in like these towns where they own like most of the real estate, like Clearwater. And I think there's a place in California too. They just started okay. going door to door and handing out um, bleach to people or huh. like it was just bleach, but it was like labeled as like this Scientology, like super chemical that like okay. killed COVID. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're totally crazy. But yeah. 
So they actually went on the like the drinking bleach bandwagon or whatever. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Is there, I, is there even a tolerance to drink bleach? I wonder if that's even a thing. Well, we know. Like if you just drink like a little bit, like is that fine? I don't yeah, know. You I've, can never, drink I've never bit. wanted to try it, obviously. I think we it have a friend that did economy. to pass a drug test. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, what I really? Said. Yeah. He took like a shot of it. And he I think survived. he passed the drug test. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, he wow. probably faced some uh, mental damage because he's a bit of an insane dude. Yeah, but, he's uh, insane now. But I mean, he It'll probably be was player. before that. You'd have to be insane to like try that. But I'm yeah. sure David yeah. Blaine or somebody like that has done it. Yeah. Well, also, sure he, was definitely been prime of, yeah, he was in the prime of life when he did that, too. He was like 18 years old. Oh, okay. He was on a strapping young man. So right. I would say you got to keep, you got to be careful. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Uh, so EK, man, I wanted to ask you, since you're more of a literature head than myself, what you, what you thought about the book? Well, the first thing that really jumped out at me was that uh, I feel like the biblical uh, tone, the writing style that was very like, spot on to like what a what like a very old translation of an old religious text was you know um so yeah i loved how you have like everything like numbered like the lines are all numbered out you know um yeah yeah and i thought it was really like it like it captures a lot of a lot of things that jump out at me i think that jump out as me as a modern reader reading like a religious text like especially like if you go back and like read the Bible, um, you notice like how horny it is. Like it's such a yeah. horny. Like they're just constantly talking about like, yeah. And then this guy banged this guy, and he banged the other guy, and like you really like, and like it's funny, but it's strange because like the way that they thought about, uh, like the way that sexuality worked in their world was so strange, you know? And I, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I was really trying to get into. Cause that's like really accurate. And it's not just in the Bible. It's in like, I was reading ancient Egyptian texts and it has like the same things, except it's even like, even weirder. Like you'll yeah. have these parts where it's like a guy and his husband and he has his a brother who like has sex with his wife. Yeah. And then he kills his brother and then cuts off his penis and then <laughs> like that makes a declaration of like his chest. And, you know, it's just like weird stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like there, and, I mean, I feel like in those, in that time, like uh, breeding and like your like bloodline had like, it was very important. There was like a legal yeah. aspect to it. Uh, so like, that's, <clears throat> I think that's why that they included that like content in their, uh, holy texts, but yeah, so right. I really, yeah, I thought that there was a very good faith, like a good attempt to make the tone sound like something that was, uh, like something that you would find in a musty old library, a forgotten tome. I felt like yeah. it was really like right in the pocket in that regard. So I really did like, uh, I liked that aspect of it a lot. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I think it. Uh, I think that, like, talking about your uh, albums, like your last three albums, where you're like, 
a lot of it is to me trying to like capture a vibe, trying to capture the like feeling of a place in yeah. like a realistic way. Uh, I think this is also like a interesting attempt to, at doing that. Uh, so yeah, like just the general style of the book that is what jumps out at me. I don't know. What do yeah. you think about it, Triton? Uh, I thought it was cool. I'm not like super like into literature. So I, I like, I'm bad at literary uh, criticism. I just like enjoyed reading it. And I don't, uh, I actually finished it, which is it's the first book I've finished in a while. So, <laughs> okay. Well, that's yeah. a good, good, I guess. Cause I want to, uh, I mean, the idea is for people to want to finish it. Right. So. Oh, yeah. 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 It kept, uh, it got more interesting as it uh, went on too. I love okay. like how it, explains like all the different parts of the world like by the end of it so I yeah thought, like yeah that was a very strong part of it um, okay yeah. cool <clears throat> yeah and i yeah. obviously like all of the different like i can definitely tell that there's like you know <clears throat> uh every i think like every major religious tradition or mythological tradition is represented by the various characters in the book like you got Gilgamesh and you know uh, so I think that the idea so that drives home the idea that uh Atlantis is the originary um and the source of all other civilizations that came down from it um so right yeah like what like specifically like the plot did you like did you have any inspiration for, did you have any like specific storyline that you were following uh, with regards to like, just how the story was like structured? Uh, Because I felt like it was like a lot of these religious texts, there's a, there are like similar story beats that happen. And this one didn't have that as much. So was, was there like any, specific religious story that you were working off of when you wrote it? Uh, the only one was Noah's Ark. Gotcha. Uh, the main gotcha. thing was looking at the translation, which if you read a normal English Bible, you will see that it says like, oh, God will destroy the earth, all of the earth, blah, blah, blah. And so we have this connotation that that means earth, the planet. But in the Hebrew translation, it's Ha'aretz, which means the land. That's just what it means. It means the land. You use yeah. that word to describe Israel as Ha'aretz. That's the same word. It just means the land. So when I realized that, I realized it's okay. It's not talking about literally the entire earth. It's talking about the land. And it's like, okay, well, what's the land? The land where everything originated from. And that's, so I started like questioning that. I kind of put it in the back of my mind and then I started reading about Atlantis and then all of a sudden it's like these two fuses kind of connected. Uh, and that's kind of when I started getting a lot more into it when I realized there might've been like a connotation there. Uh, Cause another thing was that uh, not archeologists, but uh, I don't know what the other profession is. Topographists. I don't know, but like uh, people who study like the land and like the geography, uh, the, uh, yeah, the topography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they f- uh, they found out like the Sahara used to be completely like underwater with like a huge network of rivers and like jungles, like like around six thousand BC. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it from a satellite image, 
I mean, it's a desert, yeah, but it's like it's a weird looking desert. Like it doesn't look like the deserts in like China or in the United States or anywhere else in the world that kind of have this gradient where it kind of like, you know, morphs into a desert from forest or, you know, landscape. It's just kind of like you just see this big line of just bleach white sand. And then all of a sudden right below that is like the deepest jungles of Africa. So there's like this huge plot of land that's just completely obliterated that you know scientists already know that this used to be like you know there used to be rivers it used to be like fertile land and then all of a sudden oh yeah it's just completely destroyed and to me i just kind of it just looks like it was flooded in my opinion i mean i'm not a scientist obviously but that's just what it looks like compelling case no no no. i know i know what you're talking about it's like an area yeah an area of africa yeah looking at it from space it looks just all pure white and that's a reflection of like the salt deposits that were laid there. I'm not sure if we're talking about the same thing, but I, I, yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like if there's salt deposits, it's like, where do those come from? Right. Yeah. In the middle of the, in the middle of nowhere desert. I'm yeah. pretty sure Plato referenced Atlantis being in the Sahara desert. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> a lot where some originations come from. And there's also like the eye of the Sahara, which I don't even consider it uh like realistic ultimately but it is kind of cool to look at um and like think of it as a city or what like a city could have looked like in some regard yeah is that the one that has like it has like a uh uh, i think i know what you're talking about but anyways um uh another thing that jumped out at me i'm sorry um Another thing that uh, I noticed or that I thought about when I was reading uh, the early sections of the book is that, like, I I felt like the characterization of your god figures, uh, yeah. the Nephilim, were, like, <clears throat> and they reminded me uh, most of, like, greek gods just in the sense that they are like totally driven by their desires uh like they're completely uh like in in contrast to like christian religious tradition and like other religious traditions like the greek gods are like totally just assholes you know right yeah um and i thought that like your uh, religious characters remind me of that. And also I was wondering, um, is the God, would you say that like the, the, the true God is the, that you have in your book is like the actual like Christian God? Um, yeah. I mean, the, if you talk about like Enoch, Mm -hmm. I mean, Enoch in many ways is like symbolic of you know the original martyr or you know what jesus did in a lot of senses where he like sacrifices himself for you know i mean you could call it the greater good but you know it's a sacrifice for of yourself right that's what he does in the story Mm -hmm. and that was kind of like um you know i mean like a lot of these stories i don't like come up with in a like a workshop kind of fashion they kind of just come to me you just in, go uh, in like a like if i'm meditating or something 
like this one specifically came from like a song I wrote that was on uh, New York 2030, uh, yeah. the Dance of the Celestial song. So when I wrote that, that was like, there was an Aurora Borealis going on at the same time. Damn. And it was the same time I was like getting into Atlantis and I was trying to figure out what was happening. Um, and then I just kind of got, it was just like the story kind of just flashed uh, mm-hmm. before me. And I was like, oh, this is really like, I don't know. I felt very uh, intense kind of like, like imagining that, that the story and seeing like the Gilgamesh character coming out afterwards. Cause it's not like I had names for anything uh yeah. except for enoch because that was what i was reading in the bible and seeing this character that walked with god and that's only that's the only information you have on him so there's no there's no story or anything as to what happened to him you just know that he walked with god and he was taken early in life and you don't really know what happened so then it kind of just like expanded on on that from there yeah um yeah so it seems like you're i mean obviously uh yeah your writing process was is more organic and you're not basing it on any like specific like yeah i mean there there are things that i'm basing it off of in like a historical sense or trying to like get the details right because everything's and in terms of the organic creative process right you get like a lot of details fuzzy so when you're filling in the details instead of just making shit up like you would as a normal you know fiction writer uh i went more into like learning you know, mythology and just general things and trying to figure out names for characters and uh, what fit right for the story and what worked the best in terms of, you know, encapsulating all the details so that, you know, it's not just this kind of vague image, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, uh, would you say that there is anything, this is my last question and you can, I mean, if, if the answer is no, that's totally fine. But is there okay. any uh, is there any personal uh, does would you say that this book reflects anything from your personal life? Uh, uh, it does, but uh, yeah, it's personal, so I won't discuss it necessarily. But it is kind of I mean I, I mean everything is already personal in some regards. Yeah. Um. So it's it's whatever was uncovered you know in terms of like uncovering the story of what i wanted to tell and so part of that just you know is part of my own personal life and what i experienced and then trying to figure that out on my own and then encapsulating that into the story itself too gotcha um i wanted to ask a question about uh your music just in general yeah Um, yeah, I feel like uh, with this album and then with like the la- the more previous albums, you're sort of like going into like understanding like older forms of music. And uh, I watched right. that documentary you made a while ago. I think it was like the wave, the history of American music or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like uh, since you like sort of started out in like vaporwave, which in many ways like is like a genre that looks to the past, but is sort of like a future thinking genre in terms of like right. it's postmodernness. Like, is it a conscious choice for you to like delve more into like more older styles of music and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I was always into old music. Like, I mean, I was always into forties jazz, like big band stuff, like ever since I was 14, the vaporwave thing came afterwards just cause I was like, I never really fit in musically. Like, as a teenager, like even if the 
cool kids were like listening to, you know, like nineties rock or whatever. I still wasn't, I was still listening to like, you know, like just weird shit that most kids weren't listening to, uh, which would be like, you know, like cheesy big band jazz from the thirties and forties. Uh, so like, and stuff like that. I mean, I, I was listening to all kinds of music too. I mean, it's not just that, but like, that was like a big part for one part of my life. And then, uh, the vaporwave I caught into, like listening to floral shop and I just kind of was more into it just because of the sound I liked and the fact that it was new and not just the same kind of generic pop or rap music that I just kind of never really liked as much uh, as a kid or growing up. So when I heard vaporwave for the first time, I was kind of like, Oh, I like the sound. And then I got kind of deeper into it and uh, started making my own. And that's kind of where I went from there, but I never really like, had the confidence to actually try and make like big band jazz or even especially like uh, more like modern advanced theory, uh, more advanced jazz theory and stuff like that, just because it was never really considered myself a musician. It was just kind of a hobby until I started taking it more seriously and putting a lot more work into the music. Um, but yeah, it's something like that kind of music I've always been into. So when I got into like 2020, 2021, I was uh, like, that was kind of a big, uh, I don't know, it was a good moment for me to finally be able to start making the music that I always kind of wanted to make, but never really had the the musical theory to do it until I finally just put the work in, I guess. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Um, do you engage with like the modern vaporwave scene at all or like just any... Um... Like, do you have any um, interest in, like, any collaboration in the future, or are you still just going to sort of keep I mean, going on your own your own lane? Yeah, I'm definitely just doing my own thing. If I engage in the vaporwave scene, it's usually just because of people that I've already known from it from the past, or just people who, like, associate me with it and just kind of follow me and we end up talking. But, like, in terms of uh, my music, I don't really intend to you know, make anything specifically vaporwave. I kind of just want to continue just making everything I want to make. Cause I feel uh-huh. like that's, that's really what I consider most valuable uh, to make is just what my own stuff is. Yeah. I was going to ask uh, why, like, uh, so you're the two albums that preceded Atlantis. Uh, I was going to ask why you chose uh, Los Angeles I'm sorry, was that right? Los Angeles yeah. and, uh, and New, York, New York, your themes. But I guess, I mean, obviously your interest in like 30s jazz music would make New York make sense. But is there any reason that you were like interested in Los Angeles as a uh, as a creative muse? Um, I mean, because I went there and I just wanted to sort of recapture like the real Hollywood uh, essence, I guess, and gotcha. where that kind of went or it kind of died and sort of exists in this, like a ghost almost, like walking around LA. Cause I also went at a weird time, like in the middle of COVID when there was like, I don't know, you walk around and Venice beach is like dead, except for just like a bunch of homeless people wandering around. And it's kind yeah. of like, it's not that, uh, you know, lively city anymore. So you're just walking around like kind of a ghost town, which I kind of felt was good because it kind of helped me to sort of take in everything 
yeah. without being distracted by a bunch of other shit going on. Uh, so in that aspect, it was good. But yeah, I just I guess I was just inspired in that way because I felt like there was. Uh, yeah, that recapturing of that like real Hollywood golden age, whatever you want to call it, and then trying to like uh, reimagine that in a modern context, I guess. And not modern, I guess, would be contemporary or whatever. Yeah, I think that is that idea that you are uh, trying to uh, reimagine something, the the old dead version of Los Angeles uh, during a time where the current version of Los Angeles and like, you know, everywhere in America is in the process of dying and being reborn. So yeah, I think yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. For sure. So that's ultimately what like, I mean, in Los Angeles and New York are kind of like these two cities on, you know, yeah, they're represent- hubs. They, they represent, yeah. Like the opposite visions of what the United States is. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean to finish your thought, but no, no, no. That's yeah. That's that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have like what are your plans for the next release? I know you've been talking about like Jesus Christ and Julius Caesar a lot on Twitter. <laughs> that a thing you're going into? Yeah. So like that's the last two tracks. Uh, I mean, I'm reading a, a Julius Caesar biography now, and then I decided to give myself a haircut, and it kind of just turned out into like the Roman legionary haircut. So I've just kind of been on that vibe. <laughs> nice. uh, but yeah, this album, it's called like Edom, which I'm basically just trying to like, yeah, like get that bronze age warrior Hell yeah. vibe musically and just encapsulate that uh, in, a, in its way. And I'm like working on like writing things. Like I want to write uh, like a King Herod uh, yeah. Testament or something nice uh since i'm getting into that genre of like ancient uh biblical texts that have been translated because that's the other thing that's actually fun about writing in that way is like you're you're like you're trying to reimagine like write writing something like as if it's a translation of some ancient language that doesn't exist yes so i utilize those like square brackets a lot to sort Uh of like Think oh. of like, what if there was like these words that would describe these things that doesn't exist in that English? That you can't translate. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. if that's what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically what I was, yeah, doing because yeah, it's to sort of take it to that kind of more authentic level, I guess. For sure. Yeah. Uh, how are you? So you're going to make an album that is themed around the Bronze Age. Uh, how are you like doing research i mean how what are you doing to prepare to make an album like that because i mean like well i already made it but um the preparation mostly is kind of just uh i mean like in terms of like imagining an era of time and trying to sort of reimagine that in a way where you can understand it it's it's sort of um I mean, I'm not trying to become like that because like being a barbarian is not exactly pragmatic in today's yeah. society. But <laughs> in terms of kind of understanding the mentality and kind of just the spirit of that age, um, you know, I, I do a lot of like reading uh, mm-hmm. in general, reading a lot of books, especially like, you know, obviously mythology and reading uh, history, um, yeah. but also just kind of like, 
you know, I mean, you can get into like Sun Tzu's Art of War, things like that. And like, I, you know, I read that, but like also like, um, you, I mean, I read uh, Mein Kampf also, because that's kind of like a hark to that kind of mentality, which is what Hitler wanted to do, which is kind of what the swastika is. And people don't yeah. really realize what the swastika, because uh, that symbol's obviously in a lot of cultures. It's in Indian culture. It's in Buddhist culture. It's in Greek culture. It's in Jewish culture even. Yeah. So it's like you see the symbol, but normally it's the the spokes, I guess you would call it, are turning clockwise, yeah. but the Nazi swastika is turning the other way. It's turning counterclockwise. So what that is, is like it's turning the wheel of time backwards towards what Hitler wanted, which was, you know, basically a Bronze Age yeah. glory of, you know, kings and might people. over right, yeah. whatever. Might yeah. makes right kind of thing. Mass morality. Uh, Have you read Bronze Age Mindset? Uh, I haven't actually, I, I haven't really, I've seen that guy on Twitter and like he pops up on my feed and I just kind of find him annoying. So I never really thought to buy his book, but uh, it's, it's pretty definitely funny. Of, He's definitely like pretty, like super fascistic, but yeah. 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 Uh, I've read two funny. fascist books and it's, it's a lot. Like, I mean, I have a generally a tolerance for that, but like reading through like an actual like 600 page book of it is like taxing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is wild because like uh, the Bronze Age mindset guy, like I don't know if you've ever read any like Nietzsche. But... Nietzsche, no. Okay. Or Nietzsche, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Nietzsche. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the first segment of the book is like, a pretty good it's just like a book about his interpretation of Nietzsche and okay. the thing about like him and a lot of the like alt-right writing writerly world is that yeah. they they kind of like bait and switch you because like the first half of the book is like oh this is this is just kind of cool this sounds nice and then it gets real fucking uh yeah real real dark at the end okay so they save all of their reactionary worldviews until the very end. By the time you're already in a kind of ecstasy of like uh, reading what they had read before. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I mean, like the first, like reading through the first half of that book is like very, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. I, you know, he's obviously like a really well-read guy. And then, yeah, the latter half is like, oh shit. Yeah. I forgot uh right yeah you forgot what everybody like all the shit that people say that you should like stay away from yeah like, exactly that's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's actually funny because i got the opposite from reading um uh revolt against the modern world by julius evola oh. that was the other one i read i haven't so, read that yeah it's like actually like because here's the thing it's like okay that's also like a pundit book for like the alt-right or whatever yeah um yeah. and it's, it's obvious why because he kind of like has this very deep like fascist view but it's yeah, very it's like spiritual of italian fascism right uh not really he's really like in his own world because he's like very into mysticism and like esoteric spirituality yeah and so he's not even really a fascist he's just like um like just right hand path to the extreme like yeah. he sees the world in the spiritual context of like 
sun, right hand, masculinity is good, femininity, water, the moon is evil kind of thing. Yes. So reading his book, it's like the first half of it is him talking about how great uh, like the masculine structure of society worked, which was basically the caste system and how kingship was superior to all other systems. Well, he completely like disregards, uh, I mean, just the basic fact that kings were tyrants and most most of them were shit. Like yeah. Even in the Bible, you read like Book of Kings, it's like, Nine times out of ten, the king was a piece of shit, and that's he pretty much what to like kill half of the people in the fucking kingdom for no reason. Yeah, yeah, you know, he kind of just glosses over that aspect of kingship, but like it's still the best system ever because it's just the best. Yeah, um, but like other than that, he has so much knowledge of folklore and mythology that it was actually like helpful in terms of like a reference point. But then it's like kind of covered over with this agenda he has of yes. being like right wing or whatever the fuck that even means. Cause he's no. like, he's really in his own kind of realm of understanding things. And you're kind of like, I mean, you read like reading Mein Kampf is actually not even that bad in terms of like, uh, like seeing his views because it's just so trivial as to why he hates the Jews. It becomes like laughable to the point because it's not even like, it's not really an a actual spiritual reason. It's like a, just like they're, you know, they took it, all the it, money it, and shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he like mentions some aspects of spirituality, but he mostly just comes off as being like, he's on a rant and he's yeah. like not even pinpointing things that you could like argue and like tactically like, you know, promote propaganda against the Jews. He kind of just rambles on about like how he just thinks they're disgusting and only care about money. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, right. Well, but like Julius Evola really like wants to make it appear that the aspect of like Judaism and Christianity are all like this evil empire that's going to subvert the world into like perverseness and destroy everyone from the inside out. And we need to go back to the way of, being a warrior and you know yeah slaughtering villages and becoming kings or whatever it is he wants i'm not really sure what his uh utopian world looks like but it's uh yeah anyway it's his no no no. i get it it's uh it's seductive and yeah like there's there's a lot of people especially around that time period of like european history they're like oh yeah you sound really smart and reading like reading this is very interesting but like yeah, there's some, there's some fucked up shit underneath yeah. what you're saying. Um, I do. Like, I also think that like uh, going back and reading, like I was reading the like Italian futurists. Uh, okay. Also, a really big inspiration for like Italian fascism, um, but yeah. they were you know very interested in like the emancipatory power of technology. Um, okay. And. Uh, but reading them, it's very interesting because, like, the same complaints that, like, Nazis on, like, 4chan will make about the modern world, you know, that it's, like, now it's run by women. It's, like, the you know, uh, there's more feminine influence in society that's, like, restricting masculinity yeah. and stuff. It's, like, oh, these are not, like, new complaints at all. Like, no, and not even that. Like, I read... Uh the Haga Curry that like samurai booklet whatever oh, cool. from like the 
I, I don't know what year. I think it's like the 1700s. But anyway, he he was talking about literally the same thing. How in times of peace, the men have become like like women, and yeah, everything's yeah. you know everyone's weak and weak willed, and you know plagued by materialism, blah blah blah. And it's like you know, there's definitely that aspect of things. Yeah, that, but I just yeah, I think it's interesting that like you hear that complaint in the modern day, as if yeah. that the modern day is something special. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. There's actually plenty of, like, that people have been saying that shit for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Yeah. Like, any time there's been a decadent era of history, it's decadent era of history, that's pretty much been the that's prerogative. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like people don't really realize that because history is usually taught from, like, the standpoint of, like, you know, things that happened long ago were really bad and everything was hard and... For Life sure. was terrible, but then we live in a fundamentally different uh, era, but we, do. yeah, but there's also like, there are just periods of history that are kind of glossed over because there's not really much like actual textual documents describing the times there because they were just living in affluence. So it's like, oh yeah, you just have like the high middle ages from like the year 1000 to 1200 was just, you know very prosperous the ec- the economy was great everyone pretty much lived peacefully unless so you're yeah. talking about like the crusades and whatnot yeah but yeah, yeah outside of that everyone was kind of just doing their own thing until the black plague came but that's like 200 years of history right that was kind of like oh yeah yeah it was you know i i understand what you're saying i think uh sorry i don't want to get on a tangent here uh yeah you want to return to your like art <laughs> uh, yeah it's all good yeah but like i do so talking about like uh uh how people teach history it's interesting because i think like uh yeah we focus on these really exceptional disastrous times um without but like the most important things to study are the times that lead up to those disastrous times because that's when all the shit that was going to set up the terrible things that happened all of the things that set up that came before, like, right. Like everything that led up to like the great depression and like world war two, you can go back into to the 1920s. Nobody like people don't study that time period as hard, but no. you can go and look at like everything. It's like, Oh, well there was like a yellow press and there was like uh, new technology was changing everything. Totally predictable that there would be a right. global catastrophe, but nobody studies that time because it seems like it's not important but it's actually the most right important time. and we're living in such a time today sorry yeah i mean to go on a ramble uh all good yeah that's, that's my, all good sorry that's my that's my uh soapbox moment yeah yeah all right word we're, we're yeah we're about an hour um i guess like wasex do you have anything like you want to plug if you want to tell people like where to get the book uh where to get the album or anything yeah, I mean, uh, you can get the book on Amazon or I have it on like YouTube in an audiobook kind of format. But um, obviously most convenient, I guess, if people want like the, the either like a Kindle or a paperback, it'll be on Amazon. Just Google or just search up in the search bar historiography of Atlantis. Uh, and if you want to listen to my album, it's on all major streaming services. So you can check that out there if you go to my Wasix artist page and listen to it there. 
Word, word. Cool, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, we should have you on next time you release another album. It'd be fun. Yeah, sure. That would be awesome. All right, cool. All right, uh, cool. All right, peace. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it was a good time. Thanks. Yeah, peace.